Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Secure your online activity by visiting expressvpn.com slash missionlog today. That's expressvpn.com slash missionlog, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash missionlog. This episode is also brought to you by Eagle Moss Hero Collector Shop, home of official Star Trek collectibles and favorites from Battlestar Galactica, The Orville, Stargate, even Space 1999, and more. Discover tis the season for pop culture savings when you go to GetYourTrekOn.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 430, Strange Bedfellows. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we keep a close watch on the characters and stories from each and every episode of Star Trek and then put them to the test to see what holds up and what they're trying to tell us. This week, you know the old saying about politics making strange bedfellows? Oh, 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 which is a term that originates from Shakespeare. You're right, John. You're absolutely correct. And at that time, it was about misery. And this time, you could say that it applies to politics and misery, and definitely to Dukat and Kai Wen in the literal sense. Ooh, yeah, it does indeed. I will uh, be back to drop some trivia on you before our discussion. And before we do our thing, here's a quick word from our friends at Eagle Moss. Hey, fans. That, that's you and us. We're all fans of the official Star Trek starships from Eagle Moss, Hero Collector. Oh, I don't know, be it the original collection of five to six inch starships or the larger Star Trek Discovery collection or the even larger XL editions. Well, those of you like us looking to complete your collections or simply purchase single starships for yourselves or as holiday gifts or for yourselves. Well, your ships have come in literally. And guess what, John? The Eagle Moss Hero Collector Shop is open and ready to do the business. Yeah, business with me, with you, with everybody. And listeners of Mission Log can enjoy special holiday savings now. So go to getyourtrekon.com and take a look at the variety of ships waiting for you there. Many of them are shop exclusives. Ooh, ooh, I'm going to tell you about those right now. Okay, so spotlighting just a few of the bonus ships now available. Let's see, there's the Predator-class 
Kazon Carrier, featured in the first two seasons of Star Trek Voyager. Ooh, let's see, there's a Stets coaxial starship, also seen on Voyager, equipped with an experimental coaxial warp drive that allowed it to, you know, fold space, travel vast interstellar distances in moments, and I love this. One of the most recognizable, beloved, and feared icons from Star Trek, the original series, Nomad. It's the Nomad Probe, yes, launched from Earth in the early 21st century, about now. Nomad was humanity's first interstellar vessel, but a run-in with the alien probe Tanru turned it into an engine of destruction, you know the story, and one of the USS Enterprise's greatest threats. These are, of course, officially authorized by CBS Studios. Each and every model is die-cast, hand-painted, and comes with a display stand, plus an in-depth magazine featuring exclusive artwork and highlighting the ship's history, design, and place in Trek lore. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Perfectly done. <laughs> there are ships and other collectibles from Battlestar Galactica, the Orville. Yes. yes. Stargate. Yes. Even Space. 1999. That's the one, yes. There are so many eagles available, you can crash just as many as Alan Carter did and buy one for everyone on your gift list. Or you can buy the other ships as well. And sure. when you go to getyourtrekon.com, you'll discover that tis the season for pop culture savings with 10% off a purchase of $25, 15% off a purchase of $50, or 20% off a purchase of $75, but certain exclusions still do apply. So do it right now to order Engage at GetYourTrekOn.com today. And now Norman's going to tell you how to reach us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek, and that's why we want to hear from you. Use Mission Log Pod to give us a like and a share on Facebook and Twitter, then follow and rate us at Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. You can call us on Skype at Mission Log Pod or by dialing 323-522-5641. Send us an email at missionlog at roddenberry.com. And remember, we may use your comments on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. Now, luckily for us, trivia loves company, not misery. So here is John Champion with this week's trivia. Well, here we go. Trivia for Strange Bedfellows. This episode was written by Ronald D. Moore. We're getting down to the end of DS9 and thus Ron's longest stint contributing to Star Trek. With this episode, he ties his 29 credits on Next Generation, and he'll have two more to go here. Then we will catch him on Voyager and Enterprise very briefly. Uh, a quick note about those credits, though. Although this one was assigned to Ron, it was around this time that he and his wife at the time welcomed their son into the world. He, uh, understandably, got a little distracted. A good amount of the rewriting and script polishing then went over to Ira Stephen Bear, Hans Beimler, and Rene Echeverria. This was directed by René Auberjonois, and if you're paying attention, you probably could have guessed that since there is very little of Odo in this episode, and even then, only in a vision. This is kind of a landmark episode. We mentioned before how René didn't quite take to directing the way that some of his actor colleagues did, and yet this episode marks eight total that he directed for the series overall, and his final directing credit. 
this is the episode you might remember from when we covered Penumbra that would have been titled Eclipse, but that little plan got excised pretty quickly when the wedding of Cisco and Cassidy Yates was moved up early. Talk about guest stars. We have our regular returning guest cast here, but a couple of interesting notes. An actor named, uh, hang on, let me uh, check my notes. Uh, oh, Jeffrey Combs appears here in two roles. Yes, he is Wayun 7 and Wayun 8. See if you can spot the difference. Mark Alimo is still Ducat, who is in his guise as the Bajoran Angel. So if we use those interchangeably, you'll know why. Finally, we haven't seen J.G. Hertzler as Martok in a minute, so the scene with him and Cisco at the start of the show is really all about reminding the audience that he's still here, and it's also a reminder about Cisco and Cassidy's recent wedding, since he wasn't there for it. My child, it's time to check in on Kai Wynn and her new BFF, among other things. Last time on Deep Space Nine. Ah, you remember, Dukat was masquerading as a Bajoran, Cisco married Cassidy Yates, and Ezri and Worf were presented by the Breen as prisoners to Weyoun and the Dominion. So now Weyoun is awfully happy to have them on board. In fact, he's going to let them stay together in a cell so he can see how they uh, comfort each other. The female changeling drops in to greet the Breen, the ones who she's been in touch with on her top-secret subspace array. It's only a matter of time now before they join the Dominion and win the war. Act 1. The treaty between the Breen and the Dominion will be just the advantage they need, but Damar starts reading the fine print. Sure, he'll be the leader of Cardassia, but the Breen and the Founders will also divide up a bunch of Cardassian territories. That leaves Damar incensed left out of the negotiations and left to watch as what was the Cardassian Empire get carved up even further. Speaking of, the Klingons have attacked her Cardassian outposts at Septimus III, laying waste to the 11th Order. Cut to Captain Sisko's ready room, where Martok is basking in the certain victory. All the war talk leads Martok to congratulate Sisko on his marriage and then draw a not-so-subtle parallel between war and domestic life. Ah, Sorella, keeping the general in his place since their wedding day. Speaking of blissfully happy, <clears throat> there's Kai Wen and Dukat as the Bajoran Anjul, laying in bed, passing a fruit plate and sweet nothings between each other. The personal and the political are hard to separate with these two, of course. Ducat sees an opening to remind Kai Wen that she'll have to do what it takes to take her rightful place as leader of her people, even and especially if that means she needs to move the emissary out of the way. Ezri and Worf are hanging in there, literally strung up by their feet in a holding cell on the Jem'Hadar ship. They're on the way to who knows and Ezri, as she does, is getting space sick. Act 2. 
A scene of domestic bliss as the newlywed Siscos unwind in their quarters on DS9. Cassidy is amused that her closer proximity to the emissary comes with all kinds of new interests from her colleagues, which reminds Ben he always blesses Bajoran women who want to be mothers each spring. Cassidy want to come with him this time? She's not interested. Now on Cardassia Prime, Worf and Ezri explore their escape options. Their closeness just encourages more arguing about Jadzia's personal life, adding more stress to the already tense situation. Weyoun enters to ask if they would be so kind as to help make sense of the data that came from their mental probes, an offer he says can get them life in prison as opposed to execution from the Cardassian Tribunal. Damar naturally stands by with a quick recap of how the Cardassian justice system works. As Wayun pushes his prisoners, it gets really personal when he says Ezri surely doesn't want to die without Dr. Bashir knowing how she feels about him. That was all Worf needed to hear. With a snap of the neck, this Wayun is dead, 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 much to Damar's amusement. But then there will be another Wayun clone in his place soon. Regardless, Wayun and Ezri are still scheduled to die in two days. More canoodling, more pillow talk between Kai Wen and Anjol Dukat, but that's interrupted by a vision from the prophets. So she thinks. It's Pa Race, and the vision is lousy with them. Glowing red eyes and everything, they encourage her to follow her path and help them be restored to their rightful place. It's more than she can take. A terrified wind snaps out of the vision and tells Angel she's going to need an orb, stat, to ask forgiveness from the prophets. Dutifully, he leaves to help, but a smug, self-satisfied smile washes over Ducat's face as he walks down one of the DS9 corridors. Act 3. Meet the new Weyoun, same as the old Weyoun. Convenient thing about clones... There's always another one waiting in the wings. Damar is amused, but the amusement quickly turns to resentment when he is pushed aside by a couple of Breen operatives who are given full access to the Cardassian database. It's the new Weyoun who has put him in his place again. Back to Worf and Ezri, who are still looking for any way at all to escape their impending execution, they do all right up to a point. Escaping the confines, securing weapons, taking out a few Cardassian guards along the way, just to be caught again. Coincidentally, far away on DS9, Quark is pouring a drink for Esri, as he will keep doing until she comes back. It's sad and sweet, and taking it particularly hard as Dr. Bashir, who just says there's something about her. Elsewhere on the station, Kai Wen is impatiently waiting for the orb of prophecy to be delivered to her quarters. When it arrives, Dukat is nearby with encouragement, and Kai Wen prepares herself for nothing. Literally nothing. The prophets don't speak to her, just like they never have. Dukat is there to comfort her and deliver his own truth. The true gods, the Pa race, sent him to her. The prophets abandoned Bajor during the occupation, and they've never been on Wynn's side. And then they appoint an alien emissary? She just has to search her feelings for what she knows is true. 
Wynne is devastated and tells Ducat to get out. But as he does, he leaves the final insult, telling her to go, live in Sisko's shadow. Act 4. Still desperate, Wynne begs for a vision from the prophets again, nothing. And then she turns to an unlikely friend, Colonel Kira. When Kira enters the Kai's quarters, Wynne confesses that she has put her personal interest above the prophets, and she wants their forgiveness. Kira is sympathetic and encouraging, telling Kai Wynne to give herself back over to the prophets, take some time for introspection, and step down as Kai. And that last part does not go over well. Kai Wynne has taken away all the wrong messages from this little chat and insists that she needs to stay in power to do the will of the prophets or something. So we're done now, my child. Back on Cardassia, Weyun has found personal alliance with Thought Gore, the Breen in charge here, over their upcoming strategies. But it's just a footnote to them that the Cardassians have been defeated by the Klingons at Septimus III. Damar is outraged. A half million loyal Cardassians have perished, and they don't seem to care. But it's Weyun who reminds him that they were loyal to the Dominion, and it just means so much of the Klingon resources used in battle. Whatever, whomever is lost, they are just more acceptable sacrifices in the name of the Dominion. Then Weyun turns his attention with the Breen back to the strategy map, and Damar storms away to have a drink or two and wallow in a little self-loathing. Two other people at a crisis point are Ezri and Worf, who are soon to be executed. Ezri is contemplating her legacy as the host who got Dax killed. Worf is dispensing Klingon aphorisms which do little to help, but it does almost corner Worf into confronting his feelings or maybe lack thereof for Ezri until he deflects and says they need to contemplate their fates. Act 5. The morning comes... Somehow, Ezri slept, and Worf just comes right out with it. He loved Jadzia, but not Ezri, and he dishonored himself with their little tete-a-tete on Goralis. Ezri is understanding, and it looks like as long as they're clearing the air, she'll say she has no idea why she blurted out the thing about Julian. Worf and Ezri shake on it, because they're about to die anyway. Damar shows up with two Jem'Hadar guards, but a funny thing happens on the way to the execution. Damar kills the guards, hands their weapons over to the prisoners, along with an escape plan, and asks them to tell the Federation that they have an ally on Cardassia. Weyun doesn't take the news of the escape well. Now the founder is calling, and she will not be happy with his report. Back on DS9, Kai Wen has summoned Anjol, and right on cue, Dukat shows up to hear her story. Wynne talks about the first time she saw the wormhole open and how she felt nothing. The prophets didn't fill her with love, but she carried on like she did. Now she's supposed to step down as Kai to wait for their blessing to fill her heart after all she's done for them? No. Dukat is only too glad to hear it. He'll walk by her side as she dedicates her life to the gods who do answer her the Pa Wraiths, and together they'll sweep aside the prophets, 
the emissary, and the Federation. The end. A lot to pack in there, John. A lot. It's bad. I, I said it last week in the wrap up. It's where kind of the soap opera character stuff and this wrap up of plot are just dovetailing. So mm-hmm. you get a lot to uh, a lot to chew on, a lot to work with. And mm-hmm. I'm going to start it off by saying the first thing to chew on is uh, <laughs> Wayun likes to watch. And I am not surprised by this at all. <laughs> that just seems so perfect for Wayun. You know, with, with a guy who we know that doesn't know how to up. Well, these were past Wayuns, but yeah, he doesn't know how to appreciate art. He doesn't really understand kind of like the the eroticness of food. Yep. What yep. is he, what is he going to get by like watching Worf and Esri? do whatever they're going to do. That's what's so interesting about Wayun is that he is so neutral on so much, just sort of this blank slate on so and yet he brings this incredibly strange creepiness <laughs> to yeah. everything. I mean, what a wow, what a rich character to chew on. Um, and, and it would be interesting to find out how much of that is on the page and how much of that is just interpretation. I mean, forgive me if I'm being a little crude here, but after, say, Warp and Esri have a moment, mm-hmm. he would, like, turn to Tamar and say, was that any good? <laughs> right. Then, see? Perfect. Yes. Right? That exactly. That is exactly a way you response. Speaking of Damar, uh, mm-hmm. I have been fixated on watching Casey Biggs just oh. act in the background, not even, like, during his focus scenes, but just kind of react yeah, amazing. Just absolutely amazing. It's almost like every single time he hears Wayun talk, he's like Lando saying, this deal gets worse every time. <laughs> <laughs> Acting is reacting, and he's doing it well. Um, I, I will point out, uh, and look, I, I don't want to spoil it here by saying the script is really good, but the script is really good. There is a strange – did this stand out to you at all? Because the payoff – of the female changeling having the private subspace communications array, mm-hmm. it, it felt a little clunky to me. I, it, like, I, I wondered if that was even an interesting plot point to reveal back a few episodes ago uh, with Damar having to make sure that it was installed, but you can't ask what it's about. And I, that's fine. But even if you just came right out and said, you know, the changeling is involved in negotiations. I, okay, that's fine because she always is. So I don't know. I, I might be kind of overreacting to this bit of reveal here, but it just seemed like a, a, an odd thing to be fixated on a few episodes ago. And now right. I, I would have accepted it either way. I would have accepted that just, oh, okay, you have a, a deal now with the Breen because why not? I think there's this on high type of element that's uh you know that the changeling the female changeling is afforded it's kind of like mm-hmm. the changing like i want my you know i want the temperature of my room reduced by like 0.23 degrees and way Yun mm-hmm. would move heaven and earth yeah. to do that while leaving damar like you know uh waiting in the wings watching his troops die because way Yun didn't give them supplies because he's too busy changing the temperature you know what i mean mm-hmm. yep so yep. very yeah. true yeah. Um, I, I will have to say in an episode with so many good Wei Yun Damar moments, them talking about the contract 
and his outrage mm-hmm. and Wei Yun's just placating and you know, this, well, I, that this is what it is. You just sign it because you're loyal. You know, just ooh, chef's kiss to mm-hmm. uh, to that scene. So good. And uh, oh man, the Martok Sorella relationship full of complications. It's amusing that Martok knows who really wears the pants. <laughs> you know, we established that way back. But I'm I'm still a little not on Team Sorella after uh, her treatment of Jadzia Dax. I like the story about a boy and his targ. I thought that was sweet. Yeah, <laughs> well, up to a point, right? But yeah, he's yeah. got this. Uh, it's an interesting way that uh, maybe it's just you know his interpretation of what marriage is, but using war as an analogy or battle. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a little interesting choice. Uh, I mean, right on target for Klingons, and particularly a career military Klingon. But yeah, you, you wonder, is it always like that in the Martok household? You know, might might very well be. I, one thing I thought, seeing Ezri and Worf hanging upside down in that holding cell. Tell me more about this man, Houdini. <laughs> just, uh, I'll just leave that there for all you fans. And... Cutting over to uh, Angel and Kai Wen. All right, on that plate, mango, kiwi, papaya. I'm just going to say room service had a pretty easy time this week. So I don't know what was more unsettling in that scene. <laughs> more unsettling than, say, Kai Wen saying my child to yeah. pretty much everyone, even people that are older than her. Yeah. Either seeing Kai Wen with her hair down or seeing both of them in the comfort of a bed together because we're actually maybe relating to them now as actual people. Yeah, well, are we – it's so hard to tell because Marco Limo is playing so many levels of Dukat. Mm-hmm. And everything that he's doing is for manipulation. So he's he will do this. He will go to bed with her to manipulate her to his position. Kai Wen, you have to have this certain level of uh, sympathy. Just saying, like, oh, man, she is being played in every possible every way. possible yeah. way. It's amazing. Yeah. It's so interesting. Well, yeah, yeah. More, more to come. Well, for somebody that. who has been playing people. In every possible way. Uh, well, yeah, 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 exactly, right. exactly. Yeah, that, that sympathy only goes so far. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> was that conversation between Cisco and Cassidy? Is it a little weird that Cisco has been performing the duties of emissary even when he didn't really believe he was, and, and it's still really not part of his culture? Like, yeah, every year I bless these women. Uh, whatever. I, I <laughs> you know, it just seemed a little strange to me. I'm like, now he's. Far more on board with being the emissary because he knows that he's part prophet. But apparently all this time leading up to this, every spring, I, I bless them. It's just a, I just wave my hands. I say some words. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I like when Cassidy like stood her ground about that because she's yeah. like, hey, look, these are your beliefs. They're not mine. Yeah. Right? That, that, that is the mixed marriage. Uh, Cisco is the emissary and Cassidy's like, yeah, I, I don't believe in the prophets. <laughs> I, said, I married you. I married Benjamin Cisco. Yeah. The rest of this stuff, that's your baggage, not mine. I, I am on board for that relationship. Yeah. I do would like, I, I would like to throw a challenge out there for all of the DS9 cosplayers. Mm-hmm. I hope to see somebody in a convention soon wearing the Deep Space Nine grays and blacks, but wearing a chef's apron with it. Good call. Because I like that deep cut. I like seeing that deep cut reference. Good you know, call. In a cosplay. 
I, I know that we're going to get into Worf and Esri a bit, but I just I got to plant this. Er, yeah, I got to plant this early that uh, Worf slut shaming Esri, not cool in any possible way. No, to be continued. Yeah, um, I will again express my amusement at the efficiency of the Cardassian legal system. A nice little uh, callback to previous episodes. Yeah, there's a scene um, that follows that, or shortly after, where like Highwin kind of uh, she. She proselytizes herself in front of her altar, um, you know, with her faith being completely like upended. And they could have easily zoomed in on Mark Alimo as Ducat, kind of like you know, mm. wringing his hands and twirling his mustache. But they didn't. Mm. They left him mm. out of out in the background in soft focus, but let him linger. Yeah, and you know Good that call. he was like, "Yes, this is working." Yeah. But they but they yeah. kept the focus in the foreground on Kai mm-hmm. Wynn and her suffering. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, Good call. There's the, again, I, I, I like clocking in with uh, Damar's reactions. He's slowly breaking down over time, especially when the Breen are given all access to like his mm-hmm. command station. That's basically like hiring somebody new and letting them kind of sit down in your office, use your phone, use your computer, do all the business that they need to do. Yeah. But it's still your office. Yeah. <laughs> Right, right, right. And I'm very interested in the Breen, uh, mainly because I'm so amused by their voices. It's like the evil version of all the adults in the Charlie Brown cartoons. (laughs) Right. (laughs) More more of those, please. Yeah. I actually really like like Quark's gesture, the missing man, Mm. woman formation for Esri. I thought that was actually super. It was it was touching in a way. Agreed. Uh, so I have an algebraic question for you, John, and for okay. all of the people out there that are keeping score. So in Kaiwen's vision, she's told to walk the Pa Wraith's oath and embrace her destiny. So how does one embrace their destiny but walk their own path? Mm. Uh-huh. That's just the algebra of Interesting. it. Yeah. Destiny yeah. Is, pre- is a pre-planned direction for one who believes. Yeah. So, like, no matter what you do, you're already you're walking on, the path of you, destiny. Exactly. No matter what choice you make. <laughs> yep. 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 Uh, yep. I love Ducat's expla- explanation about the prophets in that scene. He's not wrong. Oh, I, so good. I, again, in an episode with so many good scenes, mm-hmm. that is a great scene. A great yep. scene acted by Mark. I think Mark's actually giving us a little more extra than yeah. even in Ducat in some of his best scenes. It's just uh, he's agreed. cutting loose. Agreed. Um, I'll do whatever it takes, Kaiwen says, except for that. It's like that meatloaf song. You know, <laughs> I will do anything right. for love, but I won't do we'll that. I won't do that. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. That's delusion, people. That's yeah. absolute full circle delusion. Yeah. I, I thought that the scene where I thought DeMar was going to actually throw his canard bottle at the mirror being that tropish scene, but I loved actually how mm-hmm. he threw the canard at the mirror, making his reflection muddy and slimy and distorted yeah. as opposed to broken. Oh, like visually so it's just because he's in that dark, deep muddled mentality of his own soul. His soul is just, it's just putrid. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Also makes me not want to drink Canar or Jaegermeister yeah. for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't just don't stay away from that. Yeah. 
I, I'm still I'm so amused by the very existence of the orbs. Like um, it's just kind of there. Like oh, you you want a religious experience? Eh, here you go. Uh, except for you, Kai Wen, mm-hmm. and uh, and those orbs <laughs> are just around. You just you just get them. Yeah. I know. It's like yeah. cracker, like crackerjack pajorum. Yeah. <laughs> there is no honor in self pity. Really, Worf. Really. <sighs> so you want to tell that to Vic mm-hmm. after Jadzia was murdered? Mm-hmm. Because he still has to collect from you. Yeah, yeah, he burned through a few weeks of, uh, you know, Vic's good graces by doing that. And, hey, following right up after that, nothing made me happier than to hear Esri say, you know, Worf, I've had just enough, uh, I've had just about enough of your little Klingon aphorisms because, let me tell you, Esri, so have I. (laughs) He is is all talk. He hasn't internalized the things that he claims to espouse, kind of like uh, someone else in this episode. But, uh, you know, we'll we'll get more into that, too. Mm. And uh, I do appreciate that Worf says that he's probably used the word dishonored too much or for that matter honor (laughs) yeah you think (laughs) you think really good good glad for that bit of self-realization there although i I like how they they pivot uh around those scenes right back to ducat because i'm sorry to damar because when he freed uh esri and Worf and then armed them and told him that they have an ally with Cardassia. I lost my mind when mm. I saw that. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was fist pumping. I was punching yep. the air. I was so excited because yep. I'm like, this is it, man. Like, yep. literally, Damar is like my favorite character right now in this arc. He's uh, so 100%. interesting to watch. I'm right there with you. Yep. Uh, <laughs> the scene when, when Dakot comes back, he's summoned, Angel's summoned, and uh-huh. Sabor's like waiting to greet him. And he just, when Kai Wen says, Yeah, just let him in, he just has yeah. this most exhausted, like, <laughs> wave, like, just, yes. All right, I don't care anymore. I really don't. He plays it. And remember last week from the trivia, that was the actor who they, they said he was just a one off, but then they liked him so much. It's like, yeah, if you can get that reaction out of that guy and it's so perfect, you got to keep him around. It's so funny. Um, I will no longer serve gods who will give me nothing in return. Mm. I just want to plant this seed because we're going to be going into discussion soon. But even though Kaiwin said this line, mm. you could easily have written this line for Damar as well. Good call. Uh, only the question is, who is actually following their own path at the end of that realization? So maybe we'll come to it. The Breen hang their prisoners upside down? I'm starting to think that what's in those refrigeration suits is a wampa. Get right back to Strange Bedfellows, but first, a word from this week's sponsor, ExpressVPN. You know, John, I know people do this. I do it uh, because it's just something that when you think you need protection, you got to get a cover for your phone. And if you don't have that protection, you drop your phone, you're taking the fate of your phone into your own hands. So going online without protection, without ExpressVPN, it's like doing that. Most of the time you think you'll be fine, but all it takes is one drop, one accidental drop onto like a solid surface, especially like concrete or like a driveway. And yeah. you're I imagine walking around with a thousand dollar piece of glass in your hand and then you drop it and break it. Yeah. You, you don't want to do that. The regret is once. real. 
It is. It is. So, and, and what you're describing that that is exactly why everyone needs a VPN because when you connect to unencrypted networks, it doesn't matter where you are. You could be in a cafe, a hotel, an airport, whatever. All of that online data going back and forth to your device, it is not secured. Any hacker on the same network can gain access and steal your personal data. And that personal data could be all kinds of things, passwords, financial details, things you do not want shared out. And honestly, it doesn't take that much technological know-how for somebody to do it. I mean, just some cheap hardware is needed and a, and a smart 12-year-old. I'm even going to say a smart 11-year-old could do it. Yeah, probably so. Probably so. <laughs> now, your data is valuable. Hackers can make up to a thousand bucks per person selling personal details on the dark web. Yeah. So, uh, continuing the analogy, imagine your phone being data, and imagine the cover on your phone and the protective glass that you put on there being kind of like Express VPN. It creates this secure and encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet, or between your phone and the ground. Right, So mm -hmm. it can't be damaged. It can't be hacked into. Hackers can't get to your sensitive data. It's super secure. It takes a hacker with a supercomputer over a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption. And to do I, so... I have that kind of time, by the way. I have that kind of time. So yeah, if it's going to be a billion years, I'm good with that as the measure. Would an yeah. 11-year-old just be a million years then? <laughs> it could be. A smart 11-year-old. Uh -huh. But is he smart enough to get past when you fire up the app with one press of a button, click one button, nope. and get protected, right? And it works on all your devices, phones, laptops, tablets, and more, so you can stay secure wherever you go. Yeah, exactly. So what we love about ExpressVPN primarily is that it is secure and safe. Our online data is not getting shared. And most importantly, it is so easy to use. You look at the app, you hit one button, and you are on. You are protected. So secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash mission log. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash mission log. And you can get an extra three months free expressvpn.com slash mission log oh norman it's such a tragedy in this episode that the prophets they just they, they won't talk to kai Wen. why not they why, why not? You know, maybe this is the time that I'm on board with the prophets. Is just like they they see that coming from a mile away, and they're like, "No, we're we're not we're not helping you. We're not going to e even give the impression of endorsing who you are and what you stand for. We're going to be over here in the wormhole and not visit you." Yeah. Now, here's the thing, though: they are the prophets. They are the wormhole aliens. They exist. They could have just shown up and cleared up this whole thing. They could have just popped in and said, hey, by the way, your new boyfriend is playing for the opposite team here, and if you really think you follow the prophets, you need to get rid of him. He's talking to the Pa race. By the way, we're still not talking to you. Goodbye. <laughs> you know, um, and, and maybe if the Pa race, or I'm sorry, the prophets, if they had said something like, uh, by the way, you're not Kai, uh, or you shouldn't be Kai, you should step down. Uh, and by the way, the emissary really is the emissary and stop getting in the way of him. It still could have driven her to the other side, but at least she would have had some truth mm -hmm. in there, you know? Yeah. You know, and I think that this is where Kira was trying to get to, uh, or get through to her, you know, in that mm -hmm. confession, if the Kai, if Kai Wen truly believed that she was not in service of the prophets because they weren't speaking to her because she wasn't worthy 
whatever reason that you want to throw down here, then yes, she should have stepped aside. But the reason why we don't have the sympathy for her that I think that we we would give a, a character like this is because she's not doing it for the right reasons. Well, I, see, there you go. And, and even after that impassioned discussion with Colonel Kira or anybody else in her circle, the very fact that Kai Wen had an opportunity here to make either the right choice or the wrong choice just shows that, like, the faith here isn't playing into any of that. She could just as easily have made the right choice without any of that. Like there is a moral principle at stake here, uh, there are multiple actually, and uh, she's just walking all over it because it's what serves her or what doesn't serve her. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could remove the supernatural element from it and you could still land in the same place, which is, uh, here. let me check my note here. I've got this in four words. She's a terrible person. <laughs> she, she, she has manipulated and connived her way into power and used her faith as a weapon. And along the way, I mean, think about it, because I, I, I think we still can maintain this shred of sympathy for her because she has lost a piece of herself in all of this, yeah. you know, her her sense of empathy and self-worth, if she ever had any of this, I assume she did at some point, because it's all about moving the next piece on the chessboard, mm-hmm. you know, so that, that crisis of faith that she has, it is heartbreaking, and it's necessary, and it's very emotional, it, it, it's very sad. She's someone who thinks about the power of faith but doesn't actually feel it. And there, there is a tragedy to that that you can sense and you can really feel through the, the powerful emotional acting here. But at the same time, she is the worst of the worst. And somehow you can feel sorry for her. Yeah. Just, just not her choice to be a total nightmare because she is faced with this choice and she just slips right on by being the same terrible person that she was before. The, I, this is... Well, and we'll get into tomorrow as well, but I think this is one of the most interesting character developments on Star Trek overall in a long time. Um, and I wrote down the same line that you did. I will no longer serve gods who give me nothing in return. That is just so dark on so many levels, and it really exposes the lie of her faith all along. It's about serving. It isn't about uh, seeking yeah. something in return. That's what faith-based systems, you know, yeah. are are supposed to be. You know, you at, at, at best, at, yes, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's yeah, the expectation yeah. of yeah. it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, turning a little bit more towards this whole quote-unquote the war at home motif that's happening <laughs> in this episode, mm-hmm. I love some of the more overt. Uh, examples that we have here, of course, Martok and Sorella talking about the the Klingon marriage as being a a, a battle back and forth between uh, willpower. Uh, what's yes. happening with Cassidy and Cisco in his quarters? What's even happening, say, with Worf and Dax? You know, being captured by the Breen. But I actually saw this being most focused on in the relationship between Wayun and Damar in this episode, mm. because right from the very start, actually from the last several episodes starting all the way back with Penumbra in this in this epic conclusion it's always about Wayun not telling Damar what he needs to know Damar demanding to know the fate of his people Wayun saying uh, you know just go with it just sign the contract just listen to what we have to say <laughs> yeah so 
it's this whole aspect of, again, blind loyalty, like with Kai Wen versus questioning such loyalty, causing the tension between the two of them, causing them to just continue to tear at each other over the course of these episodes. Wei Yun doesn't even really care, right? Wei Yun's like, no, you know, clearly. I'm always yeah. right. I have faith in the founders. My faith is absolute. Your faith should be absolute as well. Where's the problem? Mm-hmm. But that is the problem, right? You know, Damar thought he was a believer in the faith. But yeah. was he? Because they gave me power. They gave me prestige. They gave me autonomy up to a point. Yeah. Up to a point. So what did it, co- what did it cost him? It, it, well, it's, I mean, it's costing him his soul. But then it also cost him in this one great revelation, 500,000 Cardassian lives. Just because, just because he believed that mm-hmm. the founders were going to deliver them as the ultimate power in this war. No, because now here are the brains. So I just want to focus on this one particular exchange that really kind of brings this home. Damar says, you condemned a half million loyal Cardassians. Well, Yoon says, if they were truly loyal Cardassians, they died <laughs> willingly for the Dominion. There can be no greater sacrifice. Okay, so... That goes back to a while ago when Wei Yun said, how can a god be wrong? Mm-hmm. But Damar yeah. starting to now question if these gods actually served any purpose that I believe in, they would save my people. You know, there are two words that we don't use together too often, which is integrity and Cardassians, <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, because our examples have been such like, uh, well, Gold Dukat and Garrick, and I'm not, you know, Garrick certainly has many positive qualities, but you also have the feeling you can't trust them further than you can throw them, uh, unless you're Dr. Bashir, and then he's totally on Bashir's side. Mm-hmm. But what's so interesting here is this realization on Damar's part, even if I am the leader of Cardassia and the Cardassian people, that leadership is built on a lie if I can't face them and say, here's what you sacrificed for. Here's why we followed this course of action. Here's why we were with Dominion. And here's what that means. You know, it, it's All of that is just summed up in these intimate personal scenes and, as you pointed out, these incredible personal reactions that he has to what's going on around him. Realizing that he's being played um, and realizing he's just this this cog in this wheel, this cog in this machine. Mm -hmm. And the longer he goes along with that, the more it strips away any validity – he has to uh, a position of power that he might be able to claim over what's left of the Cardassians. I love it. I, I love how perfectly this has come together for him. And uh, going all the way back to one of the observations that you that you chimed in on about how is it different between Dukat and Kai Wen? They're similar up to a point. Kai Wen mm-hmm. claims to have sacrificed so much in in the name of the prophets, in the name of her faith, believing that mm-hmm. they would one day deliver her from whatever plight that she was suffering. The same with Damar. The Damar was like, we want you to give Cardassia its prominence again. He sold out his people. He sold out his loyalty and his faith to the founders who are just using them at their whim, the Cardassian people at their whim, using their faith, their loyalty. The same thing with the prophets that now Kai Wen is starting to realize the difference between the two of them. Kai Wen doesn't want to give up, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the trappings and the trimmings of that power. 
Damar's like, no, this has got to stop. Everything that they gave me, all the benefits that gave me a leg up in terms of being this powerful leader, it's not worth it. It's not worth it knowing that millions of my countrymen are dying for nothing. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. And and what's so interesting is you you can sense this turn of events coming for Damar, but you don't know to what extent. You don't know how it'll play out. It was just handled so well dramatically. Mm -hmm. It was wonderful. And I, I, you know, I'm with you. He's the most interesting character on the show right now. He really is. Yeah, there's a lot still coming from, you know, Marco Limo is just turning in this incredible performance as Ducat slash Angel. The the turmoil in Kai Wen's life is really interesting. But man, it's great when you can take a quote unquote enemy and turn him into somebody who you're pulling for. Yeah. Um, and and we've absolutely done that with Damar. And this, by the way, just kind of going back to the whole pretense of how we do mission log, <laughs> this is why I'm glad that we're watching this in order with fresh eyes the way we're doing it. Because I would not have wanted one thing in Damar's previous episodes to tip me off or, or to me just, you know, to blurt out what was coming. Like, oh, yeah, of course, he's doing this because we're showing the cracks that will lead to this. Like, no, no, no. This is absolutely the way to watch it and to get into the story as it unfolds. It's fascinating and, 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 I'm, and just, I'm here for more and just to clarify we know that cardassia represents fascism in this universe we know that damar sure. is the leader of cardassia ergo the leader of this fascist regime that's mm-hmm. not what we're supporting here we're supporting this character turn of a person at the very base of their character caring for the future of his people who he may even turn away from that type of regime based on yeah. what he has learned oh, yeah. in his experience yeah, but let's shift again from this probably the most interesting character in the room in the series <laughs> right now. To my opinion, who is the least and most uninspired character I think that I've seen I'm, in recent episodes. I'm ready. I'm so ready. <laughs> this may this may upset some people, but you know what? If I'm not being honest, then I'm not doing my job here on the yeah, podcast. Yeah. Honestly, I'm done with Worf, John. Mm-hmm. I am so freaking done with this character even though he tries to redeem himself towards the end with a mea culpa it is a mea culpa that is way too late way too late there's this exchange that just it just riled me up he said to Esri, I dishonored myself. I know how often I use that word, maybe too often, but in the case, it is appropriate. Whoa, no. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. That's not how this works. Yeah. You can't just continue to apologize for dishonorable actions and make them honorable by virtue of apologizing. No. No, you do not act honorably, Worf. Over right. and over again, you do not act honorably. That's yeah. where I just I'm driven to the point of frustration with how his character was written, especially in this season. Yeah. Now, yes, he was sincere. I understand that. But it's just not it's just not believable from a character development standpoint. Well, I'm going to throw another uh, kind of uh, uh, dart at this target, (laughs) this easy target here, but it's necessary. I mean, okay, look, Worf is emotionally stunted. We all get that. We all agree on that. And I can feel sympathy up to a point to say that what he has gone through, what he is going through is difficult. 
Okay. All right. But, A, we absolutely needed Ezri to call him out, which she does deftly but clearly. When he slips in this apology, though, I'm I'm not having it. And let, let's get down to some of the details of this apology when he talks about their encounter on um, – Oh, uh, not, I was about to say Cestus Goralis. Goralis, Goralis, yeah. And he says, well, my motivations were not spiritual. Oh, oh, okay. I, you know, I, 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 all right. And then Worf says, you know, Worf, we're not gods or prophets. We're people. Okay, I appreciate that, Ezri. I do. And I know as a counselor that that makes sense for you to say and kind of, you know, steer him a little bit away from his own hurt. But I feel really weird now watching her feel like she has to console Worf for all of his bad behavior. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, and, and I, I will be a broken record here to say I've said it before. Ezri does not owe him anything, and she certainly doesn't owe him to be there to console him and and say, oh, it's okay, about his bad behavior and his inability to reconcile any of this it's not her job to do that i get it she's a counselor but in the context of their relationship or lack thereof she uh she doesn't need to be that capitulating to him um and then oh and what does Worf say oh i do not hold any malice toward you or dr bashir oh really Worf? okay except for absolutely freaking out on her every time I'm I'm sorry, dude, but the words are just too little, too late. It's this is one of those cases where actions speak much louder than words, and his actions have been reprehensible. Right, and that's where the code of honor, being you know overly used even for Klingon standards, is in question because people of honor, men of honor, warriors of honor, like Worf, who espouses himself to be, he would do that by action. He would do that by example. Not by mm-hmm. trying to uh, explain away the the you know the the actions that he took towards Ezri, but Ezri can't you can't like take her off the hook either. She's a bit of an um, enabler in this situation, mm. you know, because she could have easily you know th- you know uh, turned Worf away on occasion, but she also didn't mm-hmm. cop to yeah I shouldn't have probably gone as far as I did you know on Goralis three. Yeah. So there was that. I'm not going to say that that it justifies Worf by any means, but at the same time, though, she was there. She did reciprocate up to a point. Well, she look. There's a part of her that is Dax. Mm-hmm. Ergo, there is a part of her that is Jadzia. Sure, but she has full agency and ability to do whatever she wants with whomever she wants, and that that's where it gets really disgusting with Worf being so uh, possessive over this and terrible and sort of defining what their encounter means. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's just a mess. Well, that's why I said like <laughs> yeah. um, back in when I was uh, – we were reviewing Penumbra, who exactly was Worf kissing? Yeah, right, 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 right. And who was exactly. kissing him back? Need to chat with the prophets? Call Orb Hut and get hot fresh orbs delivered to your door in 30 minutes or less, or it's free. Well, it's time for your strange host fellows to talk more about strange bedfellows and 
how it all adds up in the end and uh, whether it holds up and what we could possibly learn from this episode. So, uh, Norman, I think we have some strong feelings here uh, in many directions on this episode. So why don't you tell us first, does this episode hold up for you? You know, John, I, I liked the way that you approached this from the last episode, looking at how does this hold up, not necessarily from like a traditional way that we've looked at it before, but how it like holds up in this greater narrative of how we're moving towards the end. Does it hold up by its own, you know, as a solo episode and actually in, in comparison, in, in comparing and contrasting, uh, Penumbra till death do us part. And now this episode, strange bedfellows. I found this episode as a solo episode, probably to be the most compelling solely because I think that this is where, all of the chess pieces are starting to really move. I'm going to quote Gandalf here from Lord of the Rings, Return <laughs> of the King. As he said, well, no need to brood on what tomorrow may bring. For one thing, tomorrow will be certain to bring worse than today and for many days to come. And there's nothing more that I can do to help it. The board is set and the pieces are moving. And I think that it's probably most compelling to me this episode because as you mentioned before, the, the writing and the architecture of the story is excellent. Absolutely excellent. Even if the, some of the character development segments aren't quite there, Borf and Esri, we're looking at you. Sure, sure. But I think that this episode really holds up very well because you have actors that are giving probably their finest performances to date we're talking about Casey Biggs, Mark Alimo, Jeffrey Combs, Louise mm-hmm. Fletcher. They mm-hmm. are just absolutely delightful to watch where they are now in the development of these characters. Casting is everything. And to be honest with you, I, I don't think that I would probably buy into Kai Wynn as a sympathetic character if it weren't for Louise Fletcher's performance. Mm. The character is very route when it comes to a character I've seen like this before, you know, uh, the exposition of her character and her confession of, Oh, they don't believe in me. I won't believe in them, but I've given everything. I've given my heart. I've given my soul. Mm -hmm. I've given everything. I've seen that before and I've seen it done very well before, but not as good as she's giving it to me in this episode. Mm -hmm. I think that she elevates Kaiwen to a, a far more three dimensional character than we've ever seen. And Mm -hmm. believe it or not, someone who I actually find sympathetic in some respects, especially in probably her most exposed uh, confessionals. Up to a point. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that that is what's so interesting is uh, you know we were saying that sympathy goes only so far because you see somebody who is hurting, and and you care about that, and then you kind of step to the other side and you go like, but wait, but all this is something that she has brought on herself and continues to make the wrong choice, given every opportunity, you know. Mm-hmm. So that that sympathy is one way, but then you're sort of intellectual take on it tempers that sympathy a little bit yeah Uh, it's magnificent yeah um so it sounds like it holds up for you (laughs) for those reasons yeah yeah Yeah. um i i mean 
you know, again, we, we always talk about how the, this final stretch is going to be the episode individually and as part of the whole. I think as part of the whole, again, it magnificently just drives the story forward, but it does that through characters, not just by plot point after plot point. So this does that thing very well again, where you take these compelling characters on their own journeys and the plot points that drive the story and just blend them together to where they make sense. They actually fit and you're along for the ride, even as crazy and as extreme as it might be, like, say, a Cardassian masquerading as a Bajoran and hopping into bed with Kai Wen, you know, like these are crazy things on the surface, but we are so bought into the story that it, that it works. Um, like you, I'm over Worf. That makes me over Esri and Worf. Um, but purely on what we see here on the strength of Damar and Kai Wen, this episode just builds and builds and builds. So, you know, looking at it in context, it, it works very well on its own, except for, again, some of these breaks in pacing, and it, that mostly just goes back to the Esri and uh, Worf story. Um, it works spectacularly well as part of the overall arc that we're into right now. I, I'm repeating what you said. You know, the, the, the strengths are the scenes with Kaiwen and Dukat and Kaiwen and Kira. Mm-hmm which mirror each other really nicely, just brilliantly done. And watching Wynn's faith unravel, it's just compelling because it is so completely and utterly tied up in her as a person. Um, And just, you know, finally, Damar, it's not just because there's a heroic change, but it's, it's because all of this is with him and, and Weyun. It is completely earned. You know, the, the script here and previously does a really good job of laying the groundwork without telegraphing what's coming. Mm-hmm. Something that I left out of the trivia, and but I, I kind of hinted at it a couple episodes ago, is that so much of what's happening in this final 10-episode arc Uh, or 10-hour arc, was not plotted out in detail ahead of time. So leaving a little hint like Damar drinks, okay, that was not set up as a way to have Damar turn into a heroic character. It it simply wasn't. It, It was a character trait that was decided on early just to say, hmm, what if this is a trait for this Cardassian? Now let's see where we end up. And it's one of those kind of like happy accidents. And we, we've talked about that in retcon when you do something like, uh, you know, give Dr. Bashir this character trait of, well, he was genetically engineered. So now what does that do to help answer the things that came in the past? Mm-hmm. Well, here's a little nugget that got dropped in the past. Damar drinks. Where does that lead us in the future? And without super planning this big arc we actually landed on something that feels very earned very natural and very organic for the plot and for the characters so it's magnificent to see this unfold here um so here we are in the situation where we're in the middle of a story but the story itself has some interesting points so what about morals meanings messages what what do you get out of this norman well i'm going to take you through a little bit of a socratic journey here 
John. Great. Yeah. I love that. Okay. All right. So for the next 45 minutes, people. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but it is something that um, after watching this episode has, has given me a lot to think about, uh, especially when you have to deal with the uh, incredibly sharp double-edged sword of discussing faith. In this episode, we see DeMar's faith in the founders completely shatter because he finally realizes that everything he's done up to this point has led to massacre after massacre of his people who he has spoken for by accepting the alliance and serving the dominion and based solely in their strength and these empty promises, which were kind of smoothed over by little gifts of power and a little gifts of autonomy and creature comforts, you know, things that just kept, kept Damar on the line, you know, kept him from becoming this version of Damar. Dukat maneuvered Kai Wen into believing this exact same chain of events with the prophets. He maneuvered her or has maneuvered her into believing that the prophets have forsaken her and therefore her forsaking now the prophets because they never really aided her in the first place. They never gave her the guidance or inter, you know, interceded on her behalf in her most desperate hour this right now at this time when she needed them most. So with both characters, it's not that their faith is weak. It's because their blindness to their respective faiths just completely obfuscated the truth and reality of what was actually happening. Kai Wen is actually still there as opposed to Damar. And it's far more compelling to watch them grapple with that than their belief itself. The truth is that their gods simply don't care for the lives of their supposed believers. What proof is there that they do? So the meaning that I came away with from this episode is to be careful of blind devotion to anything, whether it's a religion or a person or a cause. You can believe, but you can't just simply espouse the tenets of that belief, even when there is incontrovertible proof around you that there is something morally and ethically wrong. The kind you can feel, the kind of wrong that you can feel in your gut you know, in your instincts, you know, that make the, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. One of the greatest, and this is just for example, one of the greatest and most ironic and most abused tenets of at least the Christian faith is this dichotomy of belief. Obey your God so that you'll be rewarded. Caveated with the justification of man having the free will to enforce the greatness of that faith, because those acts will ultimately be forgiven no matter how atrocious they are. Let's look at this from a historical perspective. The Holy Roman Crusades were campaigns of brutal acts of war and suffering under the banner of Christianity to cleanse the unclean from the Holy Land. From farmers to lords to kings, they committed the most, the, the, the most brutal of human atrocities in those crusades. But in doing so, they knew that in the end, no matter how horrific the crime, they would be forgiven based on faith. So this isn't unlike what Damar was promised by the founders. But in the end, look at what happened. He was promised wealth. He was promised powers. Just like the farmers and the lords and the kings were in the crusades, it wasn't about what God willed. It was about individuals using that mantra as the means to an end. That is the not necessarily the moral, but that is definitely the message that I came away with yeah. from this episode. John, how about you? Yeah, um, I, yeah I, there's not 
actually a lot more that I can add to that because I, I was kind of pondering the same things because I, I think they play out dramatically here very well. Um, I think just to go a slightly different direction very quickly, uh, the exciting thing to see about a guy like Damar is that he exemplifies an idea that principle far outweighing politics and that is something that is rare to see and i think a, a lot of people would agree with me that it's rare to see right now uh in the period that we're in in the early 21st century uh that we hope for people of principle who can eschew party line who can step out of that and actually see principles that are at stake and take a moral ethical stand regardless. Um, so seeing that dramatized and something that we can pull for, um, that should hopefully be inspiring and hit home. Now, what you were saying about faith, um, yeah, I, I can't add a lot to that uh, because <laughs> there's so much to chew on when it comes to Kai Wynn's journey or even Kira's attempt to walk her back, or Dukat's exploitation of that faith. The faith is getting stretched and pulled in so many directions to where it, it just kind of falls apart like crepe paper, you know? Um, at the end of the day, and this sort of parallels Damar in a way, the personal integrity is far more important than looking for those answers handed to you by someone or something else. And, and I guess in that respect, you know, Damar and Kaiwen's journeys are similar. They just happen to be going in very opposite directions. You know, what's so interesting in, in Kaiwen's journey is that it gets back to a question that I often pose about people of faith who are in power and arguably for some abuse that power. How can you tell the difference between someone who is a genuine believer versus someone who is cynically exploiting the language of faith for their own personal gain. The problem is that most of the time you can't because there's no objective test. Now, Kai Wen, interestingly, is both. She thinks that her faith is genuine because, again, thinking, believing is what it's all about anyway. And at the same time, her motivations are petty and self-serving. And there's no check on her faith as a factor in any of this. So what she says just goes. I, for, for somebody who from the beginning has always said that Kai Wen makes my skin crawl, I partly said that to comedic effect because she's so wonderfully smug and condescending in those scenes. But it's also because there is a reality to this character as an antagonist that feels so incredibly real because you can't out-logic an argument that isn't necessarily coming from a place of logic. Once you swing that hammer of faith that says, this is what drives me, well, you're no longer having the same argument. And that's what makes somebody like Kai Wen scary and dangerous. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Our website and your opportunity to comment and connect with us is missionlogpodcast.com. If you would like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log... 
The Changing Face of Evil. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Schabel. Even though it happened off-screen, I compute a 91% probability that the first words said to Aeon 8 were, Bro, you got warped. End transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.